So last podcast. Hi. Hi. Oh, you could just say hello. <laughs> Jeez. You're Hi, so Annabelle. box ticking these I days. I do like your new glasses. Thank you very much. They're lovely. Yeah, Jeremy said um, a while back, because I um, have been delaying moving to the multifocal. Is that what these are? Yes. Oh. And he said in his supportive way, I mean, he thought about getting a sort of less crazy pair of glasses. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of on board with the pinky ones, but also a bit like, oh, dull. <laughs> He's a bit like, oh, I'm married to that lady. Well, I should describe. <laughs> <laughs> I should describe these now for the listeners. They're sort yep. of clear at the on the bottom they half, are clear and then on they're bottom. like a lovely green, sort of almost like a what like an anodized aluminium, really. Yeah, in, really in nice. a sort of like a they bring out the green in your eyes. Well, I started off with these frames, which could, which came in all these different colours, because I was like conservative, conservative. I'm going conservative, <laughs> like the and then I'm like, wearing. I'll take the spearmint ones. <laughs> yes, yeah, spearmint. So like, it didn't cool, quite, yeah. yeah, pull it off. But uh, I'm, I love them. So do you? Because that's I've very... kept the pink ones though. I'm, I've, I've got a, a new prescription in those as well. Oh, so okay. Now right. I'm just, I'm now oscillating between of crazy course. pairs of glasses because i'm new to glasses i didn't realize of course you could just take your frames and go oh. i want to keep the same frames you just can. put the new That's things in oh, i didn't oh, i love the pink think ones. of that so you have to always think of a few ways to continue annoying your spouse so do you because that's a very distinctive color in your glasses does that limit like how do you work that with your outfits i just put them on my face oh, okay yeah. so you don't care if you're Not wearing really. a color that doesn't i mean match. i'm actually wearing a green color you are it does today. match sort of today. uh but i there's no um color i think with which i would not wear these glasses no but maybe but i'm do. a bit more of a messy color putter together than you mm. i would say yeah you're a bit more organized it's because you've got a spreadsheet that's why I when i get style. my excel together <laughs> You've got style and I don't have style. Now, last podcast, I said that I was addicted to a podcast. This is how addicted I am to this podcast. Not only have I listened to the whole back catalogue, it's the first podcast ever that I've gone onto Patreon to pay for. Oh, man. Is it a music nerd podcast? Yes. Of course it is. Why am I searching every tendril of my nervous system? Nope. Not I'm now paying this dude $10 a month because I do not want him to stop doing this. Oh, really? Yep. It's called Strong Songs. Okay. Okay. have you ever had a teacher that they... This sounds like an ad. Have you ever had a teacher... <laughs> Have you ever had a teacher who explained things so clearly yeah. and with so much enthusiasm and in such an accessible way that you just hooked on their every single word? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And you just... It brings the whole subject to life and it just enthuses you for the... Like, it just gives you so much more passion for it. Yeah. That's what this guy is. His name's Kirk Hamilton. He is... So what he does is he pick every episode, well, not every episode, but most episodes are a famous song. So I'll mm-hmm. use the example of Thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and he then musically, he's obviously a really talented musician himself. He picks apart key aspects of the song for you to explain why does this song work? What, it, what is it about this right. song that makes it work? Oh, okay, yep. And then he'll do things like he'll pick out, say, the bass line or the, a piano part or a little brass fill or some drums, and then he'll play it himself. So he'll say, listen for this sound, you know, tick, tick, tick right. on three yep. and, and four or whatever, and then he'll play that piece of the song again, and then sometimes he'll play along because it helps you it sort of enhance You see my polite part. face right now, listeners. Yeah, it's she's like, like uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh. polite. This is so riveting. So, um, and then when he explains things, it's like, it's a marvel because you're like, oh my God, I've never thought of that. So say, for example, Thriller, um, he he says, okay, if you're thinking of the song Thriller in your head, um, you, you're possibly thinking of the ba 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 
<laughs> sure. Yep, that's what I'm thinking of. But that then, and the uh, yep, yep, other stuff. The bass line, right, is very famous. And so you probably think, you know, the thing that makes Thriller cool and makes it work is the bass line. And he's ta- he talks about how sometimes this episode's used to illustrate the point that in music, sometimes um, instruments that aren't, grabbing your attention are actually laying the foundations and creating the environment for another instrument to star really effectively right okay because which is the genius of composing i guess right yeah or it's like we've talked about with hamish and andy where people say oh hamish is the funniest when actually i'm sorry hamish is nothing without andy because andy is doing a lot of the legwork to set up things for hamish so it's stupid to say Hamish is the funniest. Well, actually, they are a very hilarious duo and both people are playing their roles in that. So um, in Thriller, so that bass line is actually very simple, right? So he he says what's allowing that to work so well is the beat that's been created and then the the drum beat for Thriller, I reckon when I listen to it, I can go, oh, well, I can hear three things. I can hear the bass drum and I can hear this and I can hear that. He picks it apart to about seven or eight things. Quincy Jones is the producer of... um, thriller amazingly famous and incredible producer and then he recreates he basically makes the beat on his own you know synth or whatever and so then you're hearing the beat in isolation and he explains like this is like it is the complexity of it's amazing and it sounds when he's just playing in isolation it sounds really great and then he says this beat is so good and so cool that i could now play the baseline for thriller on the flute and you will go that is the coolest thing i've ever heard in my life which he then proceeds to do and you're like well, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Okay, despite myself, I'm actually... It's Although, amazing. I never want to go and see a gig with this guy. Ever, ever, <laughs> ever. But his, <laughs> his manner... Like, elbow in your ribs. So anyway, listen to the pickle. <laughs> his manner is so delightful and he explains things is he Welsh? so clearly. No, he's American. Hmm. He explains things so clearly that it just... Um, it brings it to life for you so well. I'd be really curious if you listened to it to see if you are able to... Which one um, should I start with? The Thriller one? Start with the Thriller one now that okay. we've talked about it. Oh, no, actually, you know what? Pick a song that you really like. Okay. Pick whatever your favourite song is of the list and listen to that because if you know the song well, that'll probably help you. What I want to know is when you listen to it as somebody... If you have a rudimentary music knowledge, I think that really helps you because he'll yeah. sometimes talk about the chords in use here are a one, four, and a five. Right, okay. And then he'll play it and you'll you'll hear it. Right. If you already know yourself what a one, four, five sounds like, that just sort of helps. Yeah, right. Um, okay. I don't, so. But then there's some awesome explainer episodes. Like there was one the other day about rhythm and harmony, which he considers to be the most important aspects of music. And he explains, um, you know, you're looking at them as like an X, Y axis. Rhythm is the passage of, you know, something through time and we're moving through time. Harmony is on the, the opposite. The amplitude, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he then, and then he explains the different aspects of, time signatures and key signatures and various different things and so there's a few explainer episodes that if you don't know a lot about music you could um oh my God. Pod- listen to. are so good aren't they like they just... fantastic <laughs> or... like, 10 years ago who would make a tv show about this or even like a radio show about this oh podcasts are just the greatest and it lends itself so well because it's an oral thing it lends yeah. itself so well um so there was i mean i've listened to the whole or every episode really? as you, you did with cautionary tales <laughs> but um the other songs i mean all of them are fantastic in their own way but it it just allows you to hear stuff you've never heard so yeah. there's another one which is a song i don't particularly love i don't mind it but um you can call me owl by paul simon oh, okay yeah so you know again the most famous riff of that yeah 
I never realised that is the entire song. It never moves off that except for that little bass yeah, in the right. middle. Oh. It, it stays on that. It's just that two bars for the entire song. And then he explains, well, why do you th- what's the, where's the variety coming from? And then he breaks it down like, well, you know, you've got the person doing the oh, oh. Yeah. And then you've got the bass player doing his amazing thing and you've got Paul Simon's vocal. And so he picks apart. And, you know, I've just off the top of my head rattled out three elements. I mean what he points out makes me think how am I only hearing three elements like, I can't even fathom it and then there's also the other one that I thought was brilliant is his analysis of Dancing Queen by ABBA oh cool okay which is a song that like what I would say of Dancing Queen and a lot of ABBA songs actually is that they are both joyful and really sad at the same time and I do not know how they do that like mm. Dancing Queen is a beautiful happy song and it also makes me painfully sad I can't work out why so he explains why and the devices that they're using. So say, for example, um, ABBA uses um, a note of a scale called a major seventh a lot. And so if I do, I know this is really annoying for you. Go on. <laughs> Even as I was thinking. She's on her feet. She's nude now. It's going to take a while. <laughs> so when you're doing, mm-hmm. so say a scale, right? A major scale. Do, 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 do. That note's the major seventh, do. Okay. And then it ends, which is the same note as the start. Okay. Do. Now, when you get to do, 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 your human instinct is you want that to resolve, right? That's yeah. quite uncomfortable. You want, you want it to go do. Like yeah. you want it to get off right. that note, right? Yeah. Okay. So Dancing Queen uses the major seventh a lot. And so it's making you, you want to feel, um, you want it to resolve all the time. So it's giving you this feeling all the time oh, that you need right. it to resolve. So it's kind of compelling. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it creates tension. You're always feeling like a little bit of tension all the time because you need huh. it to resolve. And then the other thing was, so you know when it gets in the chorus to, um, you can dance, you can jump, yeah. having the time of your life, the male harmony drops out. And so the reason that's those lines are sort of the emotional heart of the song. Firstly, the lyrics are like speaking directly to you because yeah. it's been um, in the third person like, you know. Right. Um, up until that point, you know, see that girl, watch that queen, dig the dancing queen, and then it's you can dance, you can jive. So yeah. it's the emotional heart lyrically. Yeah. And then they match that. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. They, they match it You're going to listen back to this and hate yourself, you know, like this happened with the Dolly Parton thing where you talked for like 35 minutes about the structure of harmony. <laughs> and then remember you rang me up, you're like, we can never allow that to happen again. It's just like, oh, my God, it was so boring. And then I talked about driving through California and walnut grows. You're just like, that it can't be allowed to happen again. It's just a grotesque travesty. So just putting that little marker, just sort of a little say good day to future Lee who will ring me in tears. Sorry, continue. I'm just going to finish this one thing and then I'll stop talking about this. So um, it's when they so get good. to You Can Dance, You Can Drive, the male harmonies in ABBA drop out and it's just the women. So then you're uplifted more because it's higher. So oh, it hits right. that heart in your brain. You feel more uplifted. But so, so, okay, so how does this happen? I mean, you know, are these genius musicians just engineers of the brain? I mean, or do they do it instinctively without? That is an excellent question and you'd have to ask a really genius musician that. I think that like anything because you know you know like we talk about great writers and Mm. we go or people that are great at anything and we go well it just it looks effortless like you read like you know the yellow note by helen garner we've both just gone garner (laughs) and you think you get to the end of it and you think well like i can do that yeah that that is the sheerest sign that you can't do it because the skill is so high that you can't see any of the seams it looks like you know and it looks like it just was 
plucked out of the sky not that it was actually yeah. someone laboring over it but anything that's like that is usually somebody intensely laboring over well, it well this is so. why yellow notebook is such a great read too because you get this sort of peek at her process and the way that she writes about the experience of putting together a piece of writing is quite yeah it's very muscular you know you there's this sense of how exhausting it is like she's going back in to hack away bits to sort of shave off words yeah. to kind of pare it down to its most brutal and muscular essence yeah and you just think wow like it, it, structure is such an important thing in writing so and we spare, sparsely and powerfully and because we know about writing we know well, that there are know. choices being made right we know yeah. enough about writing to understand that you're making choices all the time yeah. about what to do so i can only assume that for great level musicians that there's nothing there by accident that they are yeah. making conscious choices about that so i assume that um that you know abba's thinking you know the major seventh is a good chord for creating tension or creating yeah. a certain mood certain keys create yeah. certain moods um so i think it's probably that they're making a choice but then i also think people that are really good at something and really practiced at something make choices that seem like instinct because they've made those choices a lot and so they're relying on what we call gut but actually your gut as malcolm gladwell explains in blink your gut is actually your brain doing a mm. process called thin slicing, which it's going through all of your previous experiences doing something that you're expert at. And it's very rapidly going through all of that and giving you a feeling that, oh, this is the right thing to do. Right. Um, I haven't read that book. It's should, great. It's I? really good. Because yeah. I do like Malcolm Gladwell and I just haven't ever read that book. But I often think that um, about um, things that I am not, trained in but I think that I end up being okay at like while making television for instance I always feel a bit weird about because I have never studied it or really been sort of trained I've just sort of done things and um, sometimes I find myself learning the mechanics of why something's worked but I didn't really understand why yeah. You know. yeah and I think writing sometimes is like that too you kind of do it and you sort of know that it works but you can't really Hard understand why it. yeah so i wonder for those i mean what would it be like for um the composers and producers and writers of those songs to listen to this podcast like this guy is just sort of yeah i mean is it like being on a um psychoanalyst's lounge and thinking no mate sometimes a cigar is just a goddamn <laughs> cigar it's just a nice tune but well i think it's hard to know because also maybe some of it would be that you'd be dicking around in a studio and then, um, you know, somebody's just playing around in their bass and starts going, and then you turn it into My Sharona and yeah. that song. Like, so I'm sure there'd be a bit of that where things just happen by accident. But then listening to the beat for Thriller, I think, no, you've definitely made choices that you're going to put a little pop here or a little yeah. thing there. The other thing that was interesting in the Thriller one was he talks about Michael Jackson's vocal delivery and how much percussion Michael Jackson includes in the way he sings. Yeah. It's all those little, like, yeah. sort of Ow! things. Yeah. <laughs> and the little just, you know, it's close to midnight. Yeah. Um, and so it's adding, like, a form of percussion into yeah. the... And so he picks apart a lot of that and then shows how that's working in the within... Yeah, the, right. I mean, it's... As you say, it could be instinctive that this is going to yeah. work, and but then I think there's also some choices, um, you know, as well. So anyway, like it's I'm just fascinating. picturing you walking to work and going to the gym, just going, oh my god, 
Do you know, it's enthused me so much. I'm like, I feel I'm back to practicing the piano every day. I feel really? like, should I go back huh. to lessons? Yeah, it's like so utterly enthused me about just the magic of how music fits together. It's so amazing. And how it just completely, I mean, I think I've said before in the podcast, Spotify's changed my life as well yeah. because I just listen to so much more music and it affects your mood in such a just gigantic way. Well, right, I'm spent. So I, I've got nothing to say. <laughs> There's I, a newsletter that this guy does too, because I'm like, oh one of the god, Patreon you'd be up that right up the bracket, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, strong songs. Get onto it. Are you enjoying Chat Tan Looks Three? Is this? Pointless ad giving you an opportunity to make a cup of tea. Well, you are welcome. If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms. You can go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, where you'll have all the show notes from every show we've ever done. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table where you can purchase if you'd like any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast you can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merchandise can you make this a bit snappier it's going to take us over the 30 minutes oh my god are you for real (laughs) anyway uh, you can catch us on Instagram on Twitter or join the Facebook group which is well that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed Oh, okay. Well, um, I can maintain the energy because I've just finished um, with the kids watching this absolutely brilliant series on Netflix called Cheer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, Oh, a friend Joe in um, London messaged me and said, are you on to Cheer? You need to be watching it. And I'm like, "Mm, what's that? So it's a new series. Um, it's on um, Netflix, as I mentioned. It's um, it's a documentary about well, six, eight parts, something like that. Oh. Um, and it is a documentary about the US's preeminent cheer team. Now, we don't really have a culture of cheerleading in Australia. Mm. If you watch, like, Bring It On or one of those um, movies, you kind of get a a glimpse of what contemporary cheerleading is. It's not just like jumping around in flippy skirts with mm. pom-poms. It's this rock-hard, gymnastic, athletic routine that people do competitively when they're in college, but there is no um, professional realm. There's no, like you do it in college and then you're out. So it's this kind of larval stage of, um, of acrobatic competition that's incredibly intensive. Mm. It is you learn in episode one of the series, the leading cause of catastrophic injury among um, American athletes. Oh. And you look at them. Because they're getting thrown up so high. They're getting and thrown up. They're on. Spinning you know, around. And... They're, they're doing tumbling in the air. It's kind of heart and mouth stuff to watch. And these mm. are all kids. But the amazing thing about this um, this cheer squad, they're called Navarro, Navarro College Cheer and they are based in an absolute fly speck on the landscape town in Texas called Corsicana. And did you say they're and the best ones? Yeah, the they, they, right. they've won, you know, the National College Cheerleading Contest, you know, I don't know, a majority of the wow. last decade. Like, they, they've lost a few times, but they mainly win. Um, and anyway, so the series starts, introduces you to some of the kids that have, you know, come from all over America 
because they're good at cheerleading and they've tried out and got into this wow. college in this tiny town, right? And no one's ever heard of this town, but everybody in the town is like, oh man, the cheerleaders, they're our, you know. Does the whole town like revolve around oh. and into cheerleading? Well, is they're that... all very aware, yeah. Right. So um, anyway, but the, the truly, I mean, so it's incredible to watch, you know, you're watching them training. Um, the woman who coaches them is this extraordinary character. Her name's Monica. She um, grew up in Corsicana, uh, was really smart, good at school, wanted to be a Wall Street banker. That was her ambition. Mm. And then decided to stay where she was. She fell in love, had a family. And she's like, where am I going to put, like, cause she did, she went to business school. Um, where am I going to put all this ambition and organizational ability and like hard nosedness? I'm going to make this the best cheer oh team in America. And she bloody has. She's oh. incredible, this woman. And the other thing is that she recruits quite interestingly um, a lot of kids in her troop are they come from really struggle street um, difficult backgrounds they've kind of prevailed against a lot of um, adversity and you kind of get the sense that that's why she chooses them and then she sort of makes them into this incredible team because it has to be about trust because if you don't trust someone to catch oh. you you know like so this group of kids is like a really tight unit i don't know it's it's a magical that sounds show amazing. It is, and you know there's i don't know there's a couple of characters that are just i don't know are your kids liking it oh yeah oh right. yeah they're absolutely all absolutely. three so um, what, what age group could you watch so it? um audrey's 13 absolutely unshakably addicted to it kate loves it because she's into um gymnastics like oh yeah there's the odd s-bomb i think like that would be um, the only um, kind of age sensitive thing um, generally it's a sort of it's a really compelling tale of triumph over adversity and teamwork and right. hard work and suffering and you know so um, and my son kind of was a bit like cheerleading but then got into it so. okay right. um, but it's just oh my god there's this character Jerry who um, has, his mother died when he was very young and he's kind of saved himself through cheerleading, you know. And um, anyway, it's gripping and it's beautiful. You'll argue with yourself about who your favourite character is. Sounds like is. Friday Night Lights. Well, it is. <laughs> Actually, it really is a bit like that. And right. um, there's a squad of about 40, but only 20 of them can be on the mat to compete at the Daytona Championships. Oh. So that's the tension throughout. Oh, yeah, okay. Who's, Who's going to be make the it? team? And there's just all these different characters um and yeah it's absolutely magical speaking of teenage i think half um, the chatters are watching it anyway because you know oh really it's I getting a lot of the chat, other chat. day and i said oh cheers she's like yeah everyone's on that oh okay so, <laughs> I, <come in>. so, <laughs> right. yeah. so okay. I think it's yeah it's a it's a mob intelligence situation but oh, um, okay. hopefully there'll be one or two people i mean hell you haven't watched it so i haven't watched it but that sounds really good um and i'm looking for something to watch at the moment i just finished um speaking of teenage stuff this isn't necessarily a show for teenagers it's about teenagers um sex education i don't know if you oh, remember no, i watched season I one and... I, you watched season one you enthusiastic yeah. about it i still haven't watched it so season two came out over christmas um it's basically more of the same so if you liked season one you'll like season two i think it's a great show um i think it 
it was funny, I was talking to a friend about it and she said, thank God the Brits made it hay. And I said, oh God, so true. I feel like in the hands of Americans, it could have been American pie. Um, <laughs> whereas it's actually just a really lovely little um, drama. The premise is... It's not like Eurovision. You don't like have countries competing to produce this show. <laughs> it's a kid, teenage boy, 16-year-old called Otis. Uh, and it sort of follows his adventure and a couple of his good friends. And his mother is a sex therapist. Right. Um, so hang on, is this the same cast as series one? Yep, yeah, all the okay. same. Gillian Anderson who plays the oh, mother. Okay. Um, it's just it's really um, layered and sweet and um, it go it's about the the, the teenagers sex lives basically um so it's tricky terrain but they navigate it really amazingly when i say it's about the sex lives really it's about their relationships i guess and right, sex okay. is part of that um so yeah it's it as i say if you liked season one i think you'll be into season two mm. yes Nice to come back for a second serve. Yes. Do you know I realised I, I literally did talk about that strong song for about 20 See, minutes. Look, the remorse is already creeping in. Look at you. You're crumbling. You're <laughs> I can only just were. hope that my enthusiasm <laughs> made up for the 20-minute monologue. Look, everybody loves a freak show. <laughs> <laughs> strong songs. Get on to it. Oh, yeah. We're on it. Actually, no, we've listened to the whole thing now. Um, <laughs> let me just run through a couple of other quick things um, before we're out of time because I don't need to talk about them a lot. Uh, I'm a bit in a bit of a reading slump at the moment. Are you? Yes. Uh, I read. I looked. You read Bruni, didn't you? Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, I, just, I read That's that. That's the last too. thing I read I that I liked. Um, I over summer I looked up the New York Times best thrillers of last year. One of them they suggested was The Guardians by John Grisham. Lost interest about a third of the way through. Mm, Boring. Sorry, John Grisham. Yeah. Grisham. Do you think he's just run out of you know stickiness? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. What's your best Grisham? Like, what do you think? Oh, the... I haven't read a John Grisham for years and years yeah. actually. Um, I just wonder if maybe I've outgrown that genre I don't know um it didn't that sound snobby oh. I just wonder perhaps if I've outgrown one of the great legal thriller writers my my taste is so much more sophisticated now I was reading the Pulitzer Prize winner the overstory that's the other book I read also oh, yeah, lost that's interest the tree one yeah, yeah lost interest um I, it's Not amazingly in trees or birds do you know what it actually did make me interested in trees it makes me look at trees completely differently I'm constantly walking around paying attention to trees and feeling like I noticed the beauty of trees and how long they've been there and all that so it, it did it definitely affect me it's it is a novel supposedly but it actually the first probably 40 percent, which is what I read before I lost interest it's just felt like a collection of short stories actually right. there was no thread from chapter to chapter but then somebody tells me it all comes together in the back half too late just police lost sales. Interest. in the bin, in the yeah. bin. it's going back to but being a tree people <laughs> people who've liked it have really liked it and it, it was Amazing. I feel like it's the sort of book I need to read on holidays because I just keep getting interrupted and oh, just man. lost interest. I yeah. feel, you know, anxious about approaching you when you're in a mood this harsh. <laughs> just like, out, out, out the door. Had enough. Um, I'm, just cracking, I'm just cracking into Girl, Woman, Other. So oh, yeah. I'll have a review of that for you when we next meet. Great. Um, this is the um, Booker Prize winning um really liking it so far. In fact, far, the so. next time we meet will be our Newcastle live show. Yeah. And do you know what I'm also going to do before then and I'd love you to do as well? Watch the Taylor Swift doco. Oh, okay. I'm there. Okay, yeah, I sure. want us to talk about that. Uh, and I'm reading a book that I'm finding really good. Actually, so I'm not in a reading slump. Something? I have got one book what? going. Yeah, it's okay. called Dear Mr. You. It's a collection of letters, but um, I'll talk to you about it in mm. Newcastle.